0: Welcome to Day 208 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with David Keefe and Matt Kresge. And we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We come to Chapter 8. We come to the halfway point in uh, Mark's Gospel. Mm -hmm. It's 16 chapters. Um, But we also come to a crucial turn in Mark's Gospel. Uh, The first part of Mark's Gospel is built around Jesus' ministry in Galilee and the miracles he performed, the things that he taught, the way the crowds responded to him sometimes very positively and sometimes, you know, quizzically. Uh, but here we turn toward Jerusalem, and the next part of Mark's gospel will emphasize the journey to Jerusalem. In the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus clarifies the call of discipleship, you know, to his followers and to the crowds. This is what it means to follow me. And of course, he paints a vivid portrait of what it means to follow him by saying, I'm going to Jerusalem not to be coronated as your king, but to die you know death on the cross and and so the cross becomes the very heart of our call to discipleship and of his obedience to the father so we pick up in mark chapter eight before we read let's um offer ourselves in this moment to the lord uh david why don't you lead us in prayer
1: yeah let's pray father as always we thank you for time to turn to the gospel of mark we thank you so much as, as we turn to the word that is revealing your heart, and we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. And so may we who are tired, who are weak, may we be renewed, may we be refreshed um, in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we look and see that he is a, a Savior who has compassion on his people. So, Father, we thank you for your deep love for us. May we um, be your people here in this place for your glory and our joy. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. The disciple answered, but we're in this remote place. Can we get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 400,000 were present. After he sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him, and they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. the Disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand or your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 How many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go to the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can you give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes. In his father's glory, with the holy angels, and of course I want to read that next sentence, but we will save that for Monday. Cliffhanger. Yep, we're right in the middle of a story. <laughs> All right, you do have you do have you know the nice turn you know that's taking place and the call into you know, discipleship, uh, but first you have to you know you have to deal with uh, uh, the the east of the Pharisees, he calls it, or the influence that the Pharisees have. So what are some of the things that stick out in the passage?
1: Well, jokingly, it appears they never have enough food anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have food for the 4,000. They're on the boat. They're like, oh, we forgot the bread. Is it because we don't have, you yeah. know, continually. Obviously, they live in a such different day than no, we they, do. No, they,
0: they, they do live in a time of scarcity. They're in regions of, you know, scarcity. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, yeah. walking into an H-E-B superstore and being surrounded by so much mm-hmm. Food and extraneous you know, things you know that you can buy and throw into your cart and walk into your cupboard. Uh, these were people that many of them were subsistence farmers, and one bad season, of course, you know would wipe you know, would wipe them out. Yeah. So it is a completely different uh, you know completely different situation.
2: Yeah, I I think. You know, I used to read these and just be so focused on the, the miracle of, you know, how he fed them that I miss, that I, and I would miss why they were there in the first place. You know, that the reason they don't have food is because Jesus had been so compelling that they were willing to stick around and stay around for, you know, what, three days, he says, they've been with me, you know, and, and just seeing, I mean... He, I, there's Bible teachers I enjoy, but I'm not willing to forego three days of meals to hear them, you know, speak and preach. And yet, there would have been something so compelling about Jesus that I'm sure maybe they brought some food initially, and over time it's it's gone or dwindled or whatever it looks like. But I mean, Jesus would just he would have been so compelling. And and then again, you see the heart. You know, I have compassion for these people,
0: um, which has been a constant refrain. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, having compassion on the crowds. Not only because of, you know, you know their devotion to his message, but they're, you know, like sheep without a shepherd and because of their deep hunger. And I love this. You know, they've been with me three days, so I'm guessing they probably brought an initial lunch with them. Yeah. And that's been gone for two and a half days, you know, now. And maybe, you know, snacking. Kids are whining, maybe. Just a little bit, you know, as a part of it. And he said, you know, if we send them away now, they're going to collapse, you know, on the way home. So it is kind of a dire, you know, Circumstance, and this is the people that are deeply dedicated to hearing yeah. him and to what you know what he was saying.
1: Well, and it's so cool that in this dire circumstance, Jesus provides, right? That they go with him, that the people ate and they were satisfied. And obviously, that happened here with the food, but us in a, in a spiritual way, at our dire circumstances, we can go to Christ and be satisfied.
0: Yeah, yep. And, and you're wanting the disciples to respond this time. When you ask them you know where will we get enough food to eat saying, ah, here's here's yeah. seven loaves right here we got it <laughs> you do what you do uh, we do what we do uh, but yeah. uh, again they're you know they're they're kind of questioning where can we do anything like that in a remote place yeah
2: you have to love too you know the Pharisees kind of the Pharisees question right after this you know we want to sign and if you're one of the disciples I, I think of Peter immediately just you know Jesus, why can't you just tell them I just did a sign. I, I just fed four thousand people. You know, that's a sign. But you know, Jesus rebukes him and says, "Truly, no sign will be given to it." You know, this generation, you know, it's always seeking a sign, but there is no sign for it, and, and they're missing it. You know, and I just wonder how many times, even for us, we're, we're still along with the Pharisees trying to seek some sort of sign. You know, God, just give us a sign that this is all true. And Jesus, it's here. I, I, I'm here.
0: And certainly they had seen signs, and certainly, you know, they had heard of signs, uh, but there wasn't a sign that was enough, you know, yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in Matthew, he says, no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah, which is, as you know, Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, so uh, the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth, the ultimate sign, yeah. the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So what is the yeast of the Pharisees? <laughs>
1: Great question. <laughs> Let us know.
0: Yeah, no, they, you know, they're—he's uh, already called them, you know, uh, you know, to task for uh, being more in love with their traditions than they are with people, for being more in love with meticulous mm-hmm. rule keeping than they are with God themselves. and so they had missed the point of righteousness. It had become an outward righteousness rather than an inward righteousness, and become a righteousness based on rules, some of which they were all too happy to ignore, and Mm -hmm. others which they were all too meticulous to fulfill, and they'd lost sight of the heart of God, they'd lost sight of the character of God, and uh, they had really, you know, of course, he's already rebuked them for uh, your worship of me is just traditions taught by men. You've reduced it to going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And, And I
2: mean, the addition of Herod, right, at the end, and that of Herod I mean, shows us, it's also this pursuit of worldliness and power, and I mean, and part of that is what you're seeing with the Pharisees is they want to be the ones mm-hmm. who stay in power. They want to be the ones who, you know, uphold their way of living and their way of righteousness. And Jesus is saying, you know, those taken together, you're missing it.
0: Yeah, and, and, a, and a beautiful contrast there. I mean, not beautiful, but a poignant, you know, contrast yeah. because you have Herod as worldly as he could possibly be, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> stealing his brother's wife, you mm-hmm. know, and having, you know, his his stepdaughter dance in front of all of his friends and beheading John and throwing lavish parties. So he's he's as worldly as you could possibly be. The Pharisees on the other side were, uh, you know, as meticulously religious yeah. as you could possibly be, probably also worldly in their desire for wealth yeah. and those, those kinds of things. But uh, the appearance of righteousness. yeah. yeah. And, and neither one of those are what the gospel requires for. It's not you know, finding pleasure in the things of the world or it's not living lives in our own strength in order to be pleasing to God, but it is what God has done for us through Christ Jesus and relying on him. That's
1: mm-hmm. well, even what Jesus says at the end of chapter eight. You know, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You know, And so he brings that back to let us know that you can you can have the whole world, mm-hmm. but there's this deeper um thing you need which would be himself
0: no there's no doubt and and you have you know you have this you know part of the uh, real turn here you know takes place when um, you know he looks to the disciples and he said okay have uh, you seen my ministry you've seen the things i've done you've seen the miracles i've performed uh, who are people saying that i am you mm-hmm. know how are people responding to the message and they they're getting that something extraordinary is happening but they haven't gone extraordinary enough and then finally jesus turns to them and they said well who do you say i mean and, yeah. and peter nails it you're you're the messiah peter has no idea what this means but he said you are the anointed one the one whom god has promised and whom god will fulfill his promises and restore you know restore his people but of course uh, Jesus says okay here's what Messiah looks like I'm going <laughs> yeah. to Jerusalem yeah. I'm gonna be rejected uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna die and, and so he's talking about his death and Peter says, wait 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 yeah. Jesus come over here let me school you yeah. on who you need to be and uh, Jesus says you know get behind me say <laughs> you you have in mind and of course this is a contrast we've been talking about you have you know in mind you know not God's concerns but your own concerns, yeah. merely human concerns. Mm-hmm.
2: You have to love kind of, I mean, just the disciples on display in this chapter. You know, even when Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and they say, Is he saying this because we don't have bread? You know, they just don't get it. And then finally, you have this moment where it's like, Finally, I, I think they're getting it. And right after, Jesus says, Okay, I, I must die. And Peter's like, No, never mind. You know, it's just, it's these kind of ebb and flows. And, I'm thankful for the, this stuff being in Scripture because no, no there's if it's not, no I mean, there's no encouragement. It's it really cool, even with the healing of the blind
1: man kind of in there, Al, his sight is gradually being restored, and even the disciples are kind of gradually beginning to see who Jesus is. And they kind of get it right, but then also don't get it right. No, But there's um, this gradual revealing of, of what's going on.
0: You know, really cool I, and I think Mark has placed that in a, in a way to kind of uh, see how the disciples are seeing partially but they're not mm-hmm. you know they're not seeing fully and of course the cross will give the full picture of who the Messiah is the cross and the resurrection will give the full picture of who the Messiah is and it'll also give the full picture of what we're you know called to be so he talks about you know his death and then he says to his disciples whoever wants to be his disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me And he's talking about cross out of context here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see it clearly because we see, you know, his death and his resurrection and the hope that comes from. He's calling them to die before he's ever called them to resurrection, Mm -hmm. uh, which is incredible. And he said, disciples, not about you and your desires. It's about following me. And it's about following me even to the point of surrendering everything you have. And, And of course, it's a deep, you know, deep call. And not many of our invitations or altar calls that we've experienced were anything like this. An you deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. Whoever loses life will find you know for me and for the gospel will find it. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this is the the call of discipleship. Mm-hmm. All right, <clears throat> we've come to the midway point and we have made the turn. So we will see you next Monday. We've given you a couple of psalms to read for the yeah. weekend, and we hope to see you in, in worship uh, on Sunday. Uh, Matt, why don't you lead us out yeah. with a word of prayer?
2: Father, would you continue to fix our eyes on you? Uh, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder of the hope we have in Christ Jesus. And, and Father, we along um, with, with Peter declare that you are the Messiah, uh, and we trust in you. Thank you. Um, for the salvation that we have in you. Thank you. Um, as we think about the way of the cross and in our own lives, and, and we're reminded of so many times where we choose um, our own pleasures, the things of the world, and those things that um, we think will satisfy, um, that, Father, you give us much grace and draw us back to you. And so we pray for that. We repent of um, the thing of our sin, of the things that we thought would satisfy. Um, God, set our hearts back on you. Um, We believe, help our unbelief. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.